Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 311. 311. We had Peanut from 311 on the show, but today it is, yeah, it's a podcast, it's pre-recorded, but I want to be as real and in in the moment as I can. It's noon, it's Monday, it's uh, October 25th, I can't believe Halloween's just uh, less than a week away, but it's 7 o'clock where my guest is, uh, Peter Napoliello. How are you, sir? It's 7 o'clock in Bohemia. That's where you are located currently. Hey, Brando. No, actually, it's, it's actually 7, oh, 7 p.m. in Estonia, which is Eastern Europe. It borders with Russia, and it's about a 40-minute plane ride to Helsinki, Finland, or a two-hour ferry ride, an hour outside of Stockholm, Sweden, an hour and 10 outside of St. Petersburg, um, two hours into London, two hours into Rome, uh, hour and 45 into Germany, depending on where you go. Yeah, Eastern Europe, bro. How are you? Wow, you are in the thick of it. Uh, <laughs> so cool. And, and I joked with, if you may remember Peter Napoliello, he was on episode 144. Uh, if you haven't, I did put it up on our YouTube channel and I threw up a bunch of Peter pictures. Thanks for sharing your Peter pics with me with him and... Young Axel, Young Izzy, Young Slash, Young Cher, because he gave, honestly, he may not, I'm sorry, Peter, you know, obviously industry people know who you are, but you may not have the biggest uh, cachet name. People like Peter Napoliello, who, who's that? Who but, that? Yeah. But you have worked with the biggest of the big, and you have earned the right to live wherever you want to live in the world. You know, because <laughs> uh, you're you're not originally from. Uh, that's why you have no accents. You and I kind of just sound like we're related in, in a bit, in a, in a way. We're uh, New Yorkers, baby. Yeah, absolutely. So this is fun, and we're also radio people. So before I forget, you, how's that going? Uh, with I just celebrated my fourth year in radio because I came a Johnny come lately. I mean, I've been working with radio stations for most of my career in the music industry, uh, that being promotion, uh, setting up contests, whatever it was, but dealing with radio. Um, but now I have crossed over to, as I like to say, the other side, or some people say the dark side, and now I'm a radio host and I just celebrated my fourth year and I'm loving it, Brando. I really, really dig it. It's a blast. I'm, I'm having more fun and, uh, you know, keep you on your toes. Wow. It, it just dawned on me. We're kind of having reverse career where I obviously started out in radio. My mazel top, by the way, four years, nothing to sneeze at. But I, my first four years were in college. So actually, you're going to laugh because as somebody who's younger than you, uh, I want to say this is my, including college, this is my, my 20th year in radio. That's that's just it. This feels very strange to me, and that's I've, great. 
I've been working my way to be like you, to work with all the cool people. So I'm, I'm, I'm working toward how you kind of almost started out your career and you're ending in radio. Not ending, but you're, you know, dabbling in radio. Yeah, I love it. You know what? I, I don't even think I've scratched the surface yet. I not, mean, no way. like I said, I'm four years in, so it's like a four-year college degree. I'm ready to go to graduate school now and then I'm ready to go for a PhD. So um, nice. I like it because I'm in a part of the world that really wasn't and isn't that familiar with a lot of the music that I play. And I'm playing everything modeled after an old New York radio station on AM back in the 60s and 70s where you'd hear everything from Dylan to the Supremes to the Stones, the Beatles, of course, and anything and everything in between the Isley Brothers. So it wasn't really formatted. It was just all great fucking songs. And that's what I'm spoon feeding people here. And where you and I, or as Westerners, people in the U.S. might be familiar with most of the songs, it's brand new and fresh to the people here. And of course, a, a good portion of my audience is the upper demographic, but I am getting a younger audience too that's piping in now and digging the presentation. And I'm telling some stories behind the music and it's informative and it's uh, fresh to them and it's interesting. And to be honest with you, Brando, I have a lot of friends in the States that stream it and that pick it up and they said, man, of course. this thing would be great here in the US. How come you don't come back home and do it here? So maybe that's on the agenda. I don't know. You can do radio anywhere in the world, and I'm proving that now as I continue to do my podcast mainly from home, from my apartment in Queens, where you know usually at iHeartRadio, uh, which is in Tribeca. It's 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 crazy just the, where it's you know, I'm surrounded by studios, and again here I'm wiping the uh, the litter off my couch before I sit down and talk to you. <laughs> Not my litter, okay, of course. You know, one of my- A lot of people like you and I can do a lot of things. So you say I could do radio anywhere. The problem is the politics and the politics in every business today, no matter what it is, is uh, is ruthless. I mean, I mean, it's just not fun. You try to focus, you try to do your job, you try to do what you're there to do, and you have to focus on sometimes watching your back and see who's trying to pull a fast one here or there or whatever. And it's just something that's old, beat up and tired. So unfortunately, there's the downside to it too. But otherwise, I'm having a great time. Like I said, I just finished my fourth year anniversary and uh, I'm looking up. Yes, you are. And why I have you today, and we, we spoke about it at the end of our episode. It's been a while since we've wanted to record again. We have spoken off the air a couple times, which I'm just I'm flattered by because you're a cool guy. And, and I love you, Brando, and I do enjoy you. you. And more importantly, I really want you to win. I really do. I want you to do great. I want you to forge forward. I don't want you to fall prey to all the speed bumps that come across in life. I want to push you along there if I can, because I consider you a friend and I want to do everything for my friends. Well, thank you. I would like to win too. I just had the <laughs> the visual. I don't know if you're an Office fan, but just uh, big Kevin Malone just saying, it's nice to win one. You know, it's I, I just, yeah, I, I try to do my best to win, but it is wonderful to get feedback because I respect, you know, you after doing the interview and getting to speak off air just uh, not just because of your your resume which is readily available on google just go if you know how to spell uh, peter napoliello to see all the uh, <laughs> <Good> luck <laughs> yeah and, and all, your acting job so i mean it's just th- well the acting jobs was interesting i never sought out to be an actor right. interesting enough what happened was after i took a break from the music industry i moved to the island of bermuda okay for two years And I wore the same shorts and the same T-shirt 
every day. Love it. And I drove around on a little Vespa motor scooter because if you live on the island of Bermuda, you can't buy a car unless you own a house because it's only 17 miles long. It's a small island. It's a little speck in the Atlantic Ocean. So they don't want an overabundance of cars with traffic and fumes, etc. Sure. So you get these little Vespas. And I'm tooling around for two years on a Vespa, but I started to write screenplays. And I wrote five movie screenplays. And the first one that I wrote was about my life in the music business <laughs> and the dirty deeds and the fictionalized it, of course. And I modeled a lot of my characters after players that were in the music business. But ironically, like when I got into the music business, I said, okay, I gotta know what they do in recording studios. I gotta know how artists think. I got to understand their language. I want to connect with them outside of the business on a personal level and on a production level as well. So you try to become all knowing about how they act, how they think, etc. So I said to myself, OK, I'm writing these screenplays and I'm getting action on them from major producers and major directors. I got to know what actors do, how they feel. If I ever make it to a set and I'm working with an actor, I gotta know how to speak their language. So I took the liberty of going back to New York and taking a couple of acting classes. And I've never had any desire to, uh, to be an actor. In all my years in LA working with record companies, I had some pretty heavyweight actors hanging out in my office. Of course, they wanted tickets for shows and stuff, but I knew a lot of the big actors and I could drop names right now, but I don't think it matters. But the point I'm making is I found out what they did and what acting class is like. And that's like going to see a psychiatrist, man. It's deep. It goes into your soul. And there's all kinds of techniques. Then I said, I have to find out what it's like to go on auditions and get rejected. Now, me being the promotion man, I would call radio stations cold and ask for things that they're normally in a position automatically to say no to, like not play your records. So I'm without an agent, Brando. I don't have an agent, but I'm finding out who the decision makers are for certain castings on certain TV shows and certain movies. And I'm calling these casting directors cold. They don't know me, I don't know them. But being the promotion person that I am, I cracked through and I got auditions on some very, very big TV shows and some very big movies. Granted, the movies, maybe I didn't get the part, but I got cast on The Sopranos. I got cast on Law and Order two times. And I'm not even an actor, and I didn't even have an agent. I mean... Do you hear me, man? So what I'm trying to say is I was going through all that stuff, and you know, people assumed that I want to be an actor. No, no, no. But then the I went full, full tilt boogie into the... Um, film world and i was shopping films meeting with directors trying to get that off the ground and that's when you find out what development hell is i mean making a record you make the record you record it you put it out and you run getting a movie out forget it it takes forever and it's like trying to get a a square peg into a round hole it's very frustrating but again it's done and then i kind of got a little bit frustrated with it and i got away from it but um that was an interesting time of my life it was my transition when i took a, a step away from the music business i had had i had had enough for a minute there and i needed a break hmm. but um you know it was great it was fun too what you're doing right now i think is perfect you're you're laying the foundation to why you are the right person to have not just to, to speak to again we've like I, I mentioned earlier we've been wanting to do a part two but why now is kind of a good time and 
You know, maybe it's fate because I need your expertise on how to decipher. As a radio guy now, you got to talk about the news. That's what I do. Uh, oh, I don't. Oh, I wish I had that soundbite up. Shock on news. I don't have that soundbite. <laughs> uh, maybe it's it, you wouldn't like it. I'm terrible with the sound bites. You like old school radio? It's just you and me. You and me talking. Uh, so with, I, I brought your to your attention because I I want to make sure that also as you mentioned, Gaffin, if you don't if you're not familiar with Peter and you haven't listened to 144 yet because you keep calling yourself the promotion man. So I wanted the expert of the promotion man, uh, and you'll add on to this. Former senior vice presidents of Geffen, EMI, A&M Records. I mean, that's that's only a part of it. You know, you were there. Why? One of the reasons why I had you on the first time, you were there for Appetite for Destruction. You were on the ground floor, you know, making phone calls, you know, pushing at the label. You were, you helped make that record. You know, you're from day one. From day one. And I, I told you this off the air. I'll say it on as I'm writing this. This book with uh, with Doug Goldstein, he wants to mention all the people that worked with Guns N' Roses that haven't been mentioned yet. All the people at the label, at, the, at, at every facet that aren't the big names, and you're one of the names. He knows how hard you worked. So yeah. get, to get your ground-level perspective and your outlook and just hearing you thus far tell the, these stories. So, you know, yesterday, and, and it's good that I – this is why I talk about what – day it is despite it's a, a podcast because sometimes I get emotional and uh, my emotions can calm down and calm down a little bit so this story came out uh, October 23rd I don't know what time uh, it gets to Estonia that's, that's a joke uh, <laughs> so Slash he, he hasn't been on the show obviously I haven't gotten the big three I mean that to me that's like getting uh, you know the, the three wise men like it just doesn't seem like a, a real I, I appreciate my listeners saying like oh they'll come on one day to me, that's just like, I don't know, that's like getting um, oh, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, or I'm sorry, I'm just trying to think of like cartoon characters. It, it's, it doesn't seem real. So Slash, they all do very uh, sparing interviews, and when they've done them, and I've talked about on this podcast, the ones that they've done throughout these reunion years have been uh, kind of sparse. Um, Duff did his run with, he's promoting tenderness. We don't need to get into that. You know, uh, his management canceling on me, you know, maybe Duff one day. But that's, again, that's a, it was always a pipe dream. It was just sucks to get close to the sun. Uh, so sparingly, but if he was ever asked about Guns N' Roses, really kind of generic, pushed it aside. Everyone's happy, you know, no nothing answers. And fine, you know, maybe we'll get your perspective on that, Peter, if you would like. That, to me, that's no problem. Slash, maybe a little bit more informative saying that we're working on things. I, I remember a particular interview he did when he was promoting his, the pinball machine that he did, which is just, I mean, he's brilliant that he designed. He literally uh, helped design, like, with uh, graphics and, and math and, and with the pinball. It was amazing. Uh, but, of course, every interview, they're asked about Guns N' Roses. That's what pissed them off, him off for so long when he's trying to promote Velvet Revolver and other things that had nothing to do with. But he's in Guns N' Roses again. But they give kind of no-nothing answers. The last year, he mentioned that he had been jamming with Duff, with, Sla uh, with Axel, Nothing really concrete. I want to bring it up, actually, because I tweeted it. Because I want to get, again, your perspective while you're here today, why it's timely. Uh, his exact uh, quote. I had this up. Okay. So, last July, 
He says, I've been jamming with Duff and I've been jamming with Axel, recording guitar stuff for Guns and Whatnot. Of course, it's a larger quote. Nothing really uh, substantial. I'm going to bring it up here. On, I'm actually going on, speaking of radio, WMMR. Uh, did a nice Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, nice. And who was he interviewing? Oh, who was interviewing him, rather? This was uh, Sweetwater. So Sweetwater. Yeah. So a lot of times you see this, and I respect it. Slash will do an interview with Gibson. You know, some or or Duff will do uh, w- an interview with a friend of his, a music friend of his, right. or you know, some sort of connection. Those are the interviews they do, kind of safe interviews. And again, that's the way it is. What it is, that's a larger conversation. Perhaps we'll get into it because I've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast, but not with you. Uh, he's talking about how and this is last July. This is last year. Uh, this is how he's been doing during the pandemic. I've been pretty much a homebody. I've been back and forth between my studio and the house and been doing a lot of writing and recording on my own. I've been jamming with Duff. I've been jamming with Axel. I've been doing stuff like that. So we've been getting some work done that way. I'm basically focusing writing on new music and getting and recording demos and recording guitar stuff for guns and whatnot. That was a big story last year. And the whatnot turned out to be Miles Kennedy, which they debuted a new song already, uh, which is out. And they have a whole plan. They have a video. That's, that's a band that's going for, <laughs> that tells you what's going on. So that being said, I, I spoke about this with you uh, earlier, um, Peter. So this is, I'm looking, I'm clicking on Blabbermouth right now, but they, so this, this is the, an interview. Cause you're like, Slash didn't say that. I'm like, no, this is audible. This is from Odyssey, the uh, the rebranded radio company. Uh, so this is within the Blabbermouth article. Uh, last month, uh, it, the guitarist and his bandmates, it's always fun how we have to rephrase things as uh, as journalists, uh, dropped Hard School, which came more than a month after their performance and subsequent official release of Absurd, a reworking of the Guns N' Roses previously unreleased, unreleased Silkworms. Um, he goes, in this interview, as far as the new Guns record is concerned, we haven't even gotten to that point of really in earnest sitting down and writing, he said. Blabbermouth, I want to give them credit. They transcribed this for me. Uh, we've been doing a lot of material that's been sort of sitting around for a while. For a while. That'll be a whole focused endeavor unto itself. And then he goes, continues, and these are questions. Well, let me save it. <laughs> as for uh, as far as uh, hard school and absurd came about, Slash says they both had a lot. They both had a lot of history. What happened was Axel had all these songs that he recorded at some point along the way, <laughs> and so Duff and I went in and redid them. Basically, I wrote my own kind of parts to what else was what else is going on, and we sort of took the drums and redid everything else. So th- that's the quote. And y- so y- you got that up here, right? I know I've been talking for a bit, but I want to set this yeah, stage. Yeah, um, okay. so, it's not too complicated. It's, it's pretty easy. The, you deal with Guns N' Roses. Well, you know? yes. <laughs> uh, too long, didn't read. You're, you're dealing with Guns N' Roses. Okay, good night, everybody. That's it. All right, let's see if we can break it down. Because what bothered me <laughs> a little bit, I have no problem. I'm going to say a few things right off the bat. No problem with when Absurd came out. You know, I was like, wow, Absurd. I don't know if you know the history behind it. 
Silkworms was a song they did live a few times, uh, I think written with Axel and Chris Pittman, and then uh, keyboardist, very weird. I wasn't into it the first time. I just thought it was like, whoa, he's trying for like My World too or something like that. Just kind of forgot about it. And then you see Absurd on this leaked set list. Absurd comes out, and for whatever reason, and I we did episodes on this, I think those reasons are Slash and Duff, the song, I love it. Even my Dave Matthews love and fiance sings, and I don't know, again, I don't know if you've heard this, Peter. The line is, pussy full of maggots. Silkworms. So my, my Dave Matthews love and fiance will sing that while she's, you know, sweeping or something. I'm like, wow. Uh, so that's interesting. But I loved it. Had no problem that it was an old song. Just, uh, it was happy. Especially it was a new Guns N' Roses song. This is real life. And hard school, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great. I didn't care if it was an old quote-unquote song. Might have been called, made for a Jackie Chan movie if you want to do some sleuthing. Because uh, there's an old Howard Stern. We were talking about this off-air. Uh, some some uh, radio people. Howard Stern interviewed Duff in like 93. Uh, they hadn't broken up yet. They were writing. You know, Howard's like, what the fuck's going on with the band? And they talk about, oh, we're working on the song for a Jackie Chan movie, which never came to see. Came to light. Was that hard school? Don't know. I don't care really because I mean I care but I love the song regardless I don't care how long it it took to make her whoever what bothers me Peter and here we go is that Slash said one thing I believe last year we've been sitting around writing material you know hanging around with with Axel and this year we haven't been in a room together we haven't been we haven't sat down and wrote that upset me so much <laughs> so i appreciate all the people on uh i got some feedback on the, my new twitter the afd podcast it did i feel lied to am i crazy talk me off the ledge be my therapist for this episode too with your with your expertise like how, what give me your thoughts on that you're completely overthinking this as usual the overthinking okay it. first of all Let's look at the history here. Um, I can't speak for the timeline since the last tour and what they're doing now, but the history of this band is they've always been taken out of context. Mm -hmm. Uh, The journalists and the press have, and I'll say this, lied about this band before. Mm -hmm. So whatever I really see that's written, be it interview or whatever, unless I'm hearing it with my ears, like a live interview, I always have second guesses, you know what I mean? I just, eh, it could be, it could be just rewording of a couple of sentences or excuse me, realigning of a couple of sentences. I don't know. But at this point, Slash has no ax to grind with anybody and uh, he's doing quite well and he's quite happy actually. But I don't think that they would, anybody, including Axel, I don't think they would ever mess with the fans. They wouldn't. That's not their nature. That's not what this band's all about. They might be poking fun at the journalists. Who knows, you know, playing a couple of games. Stones were experts doing that. Mm-hmm. But just because he says that he wasn't, hasn't been with Axel, maybe he hasn't been with them during this last COVID lockdown since the cancellation of the last tour. You know, they're back together now. They're seeing each other every day now. They're playing. Who knows? Maybe they're going to put it together and get back in and burn out an album in three weeks in early 2022. You will have a fresh Guns N' Roses record sitting in your in your hands or it's streamed to your, your computer. Your lips are knocking on heaven's door. You know, knocking I, on heaven's that's door. That's been my history with this band. Anything's possible. Yeah. Expect the unexpected. 
but never say never and never say die. That's really the creed right there. And, you know, when it comes, it comes. That I agree. I, I, agree. I never put a timeline on that band, but just when you thought power was going to get turned off, <laughs> it lights up like the 4th of July, you know? So... Um, I'm I'm happy with everything that they're doing, and I'm just you know I, I would love to hear a new Guns N' Roses record, and I know the fans are salivating for it, and uh, I think they have something up their sleeve. I mean, I think there was a time when Slash told Eddie Trunk that there was no gonna not going to be a reunion, and like three weeks later it was announced that they get right back together. right correct yeah so there you go. That's what a lot of people brought up, and I thank you to everybody who who did. You know, kind of talk me off the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm using some hyperbole, but, you know, talk me off the ledge, so to speak. I'm like, I'm not going to go to full heel yet. I'm not going to go, to, you know, I'm not going to turn heel. Let me take a breath because it's like they haven't been in a room. Are they even friends? Do they even like each other? I'm like, why are they doing that? What, the file? I'm, yeah, I, I know. I'm overreacting. I'm I'm medicated. It's it's okay. I, I'm, I'm okay right now, but I appreciate talking. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen Slash for about two years now. Uh, and I reached out for him, though, recently when he had his birthday. Okay. But what I'm concerned about and what I, you know, like I'm like a, a father figure, you know, I just want him to be healthy and I want him to be safe. That's what I care about. You know what I mean? I love these boys like my children, and I just don't want to see anything bad happen to them. So, you know, we're all getting up on there in age, and these guys have led a hard life, and that touring schedule, not easy. So I'm just praying that they have good medical available and they're all healthy and, you know, I'm just doing the right thing. So to keep this machine going, you know, that's that's my main concern with them right now uh, before any record or anything else is you guys cool. You're happy. You're out there doing it. I'm proud of them, too. You know, against all odds, they've done a lot of work in the past five years that a lot of people uh, basically said they could never do. So. I, yeah, I agree with all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's kind of the main thing. I'm like, uh, as somebody who's the opposite of you, where you were there in 1987, and I'm sorry, Peter, I was four. I, I just, I found them later in life. Does it make me a bad person? <laughs> no, it does not. It does not make me a bad person. I'm still aware of dinosaurs and the Civil War of all, and all things that happened before my time. Uh, so, but... I, I feel the same way as somebody who never got to see Axel and Slash on stage together. My first time seeing Axel was in 2002 when he's, you know, in his long braids. I mean, that was not the Axel I, 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 I thought, you know, growing uh, watching on TV and everything. I, that's, I loved it. That's, again, a whole other podcast. Three, show, three shows I would have loved for you to have seen. So maybe if you could find a time machine, it would be any one of the Cat House shows. Uh, most definitely the Rich Show in New York, which you can see actually on video. Um, and probably the third one would be, ooh, that's a hard call between either the Country Club Show or when they opened for the Stones and Axel quit on stage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. See, that, that's that something else. Exactly. Where I, as I joke where, and this is something else that, that's a, a theme of this podcast, where I never got to experience the danger, the dangerous Guns N' Roses. And you could say that now, I guess. At the time, I'm sure it wasn't cool. I got to tell you this. None of that was premeditated. None of that was planned. That was all from the hip. That That was circumstance. Which doesn't exist at all anymore. At all. You can't write that stuff. I don't care how creative you are. 
Exactly. So at all, I mean, there are people who try to write it, you know, and you can't make it up. But I am appreciative that they are all still alive. You know, uh, Stephen Adler included. I mean, especially that everyone's still around. That it does warm my heart and to see Axl Rose on stage smiling is somebody. One of the reasons why I love this band and I identified, you know, with him and just going back to me as a kid was the anger issues, was the depression. I'm like, that's like me. I, it's just all the reasons why, as a kid, you like who you like, and as you get older, you kind of, you know. Let me put this out. Go ahead, I mean, bud. I have felt Axel's wrath, but I never felt that it was personal. I felt that he was like yelling with me, not yelling at me. And it wasn't yelling, don't get me wrong. But what I'm trying to say is I have felt his wrath and I've seen him happy. And I got to tell you, honestly, he's a great guy. He's really a great guy. He's a very loyal friend. If you're a good friend of his, he keeps his, his friends very close to him. He's very, very generous. He looks after people. Uh, it's like anything else. There's a lot of bullshit out there and a lot of people that went after him uh, on that success ride. And, um, you know, some people burned him and some people didn't. And, the you know, shit happens. But overall, being objective and looking at this thing as it is, Axel's a good guy. You know, there's nothing obscure, abnormal about him. He's got a temper. Who doesn't? Right. Flies off the handle. Who doesn't? Right. But, you know, it is what it is. I, I, you know, I always said this. I got nothing bad to say about these guys. That's another consistent thing throughout the podcast. And what you keep saying is the reason I do what I do. I, I'm, I don't make up stories. I'm not a liar. I mean, it goes back to just as something as a stupid example, but it goes to show you I'm, what I'm talking about is, you know, go, go back to college where I'm an accountant as my part of my, my 20 years of, of radio. I'm in a, a, a journalism class and we're just doing random stories assigned in the class. You know, again, this is just not a, a, the greatest story in, in the world, just an example. And I was supposed to do a story about the language of Punjab. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? I have to present this in a certain way and be honest that I don't speak it. And I'm talking to the the professors. It was just like a, you were given just a random thing that you need to be like an expert on. And I'm like, I'm not an expert on this. I need to present this in a way that I'm not an expert. But I'm going to present it well. So that's the same thing I, I do here on this podcast so yeah i'm i some of it again use a a big word hyperbole and i'm kind of exaggerating it didn't ruin my day you know what slash said but at the time it kind of it honestly just bummed me out i'm like have they been in a room it's not that i need a new album or need a new song i want them to i want to go when i go to the shows and i have a fun time every single time my only uh buyer's remorse was the 100 dollar hoodie but I blame my fiance for that. She kind of just said, "Oh, the uh, the, the the sleeves are sexy." I'm like, "Ah, you'll wear it too." And then I didn't need to spend. We have enough hoodies and clothes and stuff. Anyway, it's a, a, another story. Everything has been great, but I don't want to be like I feel like I'm seeing Kiss, where I'm just seeing people up there just to take from the fans. That's how I see Kiss. I, I honestly do. You know, I met Paul Stanley, very nice guy. Met uh, uh, Eric Thayer, he's a very nice guy. Uh, Gene Simmons, another story. I never met him, but he's just 
my perception of you got to write a check if you want to talk to Gene. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a whole other you know perception and another podcast, I guess. But I I, 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 I want them. Mine. to I, I, I had a friend of okay, mine. I'll tell you this real quick. Sure, I had please. A friend of mine that was interested in speaking with Gene about a business proposal. So he approached him, I forget where it was, but he approached him and says, Mr. Simmons, Gene, I'd like to speak with you. And Gene just looks at him and says, sure, write me a check. <laughs> and the guy kept on coming at him and Gene kept on looking at him saying, sure, write me a check, write me a check. It was funny. Oh, I oh I, I'm sure. But I mean, again, it's a whole other, you know, ball of wax, whole other thing. But I want to, I want to go and I want to see, well, yes, I will never experience the dangerous Guns N' Roses. I want to experience a band. And yeah, I see, you know, all the social media that I see the, the action on stage. It makes me happy. It makes me feel like they're, it's like a family atmosphere. But it's like when you read, they took in $50 million this year, 50 million. Congratulations. They deserve all of it. Getting through this year is no other band did it. Like, like, didn't have to stop and start. I mean, Axel fought through food poisoning. Uh, Wolfgang uh, had to take uh, his team had to take a day off, day or two off, at one point. But it was like, wow, good for you guys. But you know, I wanted, I I don't want it ever to think of that those two evil words. I think cash grab. I just I don't want it to be that. So or do you, or is that is that okay? I mean, so I don't know if you have a thought on. Again, am I overreacting? To, I, I, you know, I wouldn't lose sleep over it, but um, Bob Dylan, I think, said it best. Money doesn't talk. It swears. So hmm. it gets to a point in somebody's life. Maybe they're just looking to do the last hurrah. So they have enough money to maintain and build on the lifestyle that they're used to and they've had for the rest of the year years. And, you know to do it and to maintain that high, high, high lifestyle that these guys are used to, you got to have a lot of money. And, you know, there are things called taxes. There's overhead. There's, you know, uh, recuperable fees. There's payouts to management. So when you hear $50 million after it's all doled out, um, what you're left with is, is a completely different number. And is that number distributed in the way that it could sustain that quality of life that these boys are so used to having? Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I don't think this band is the type of uh, band that lives beyond their means. Of course, you know, you're going to enjoy the fruits of your labor. You're going to have beautiful houses and you're going to have great families and you're going to give the best to your kids and stuff. But it it's not like these guys are out there buying, you know, castles with moats in Europe and having a house in the Caribbean just that sits empty all year. And that doesn't include the houses in L.A., the, the penthouse apartments in New York or the regular rock star lifestyle, so to speak. I might be wrong. They might be doing that, but I would guess that they're not. So the only what it is, is what it is. And what I'm trying to get to is I don't think guns was ever about the money. You know, the money was just the yardstick of how good they were, and they were paid well. Um, that's how I looked at it too, and I, I guess I just—that's what kind of—I uh, don't know. Again, I'm just being a, a part of being a fan is being a fanatic, I guess. It's just like, okay, what, what now? You know, yeah, Slash is putting out, you know, a new album with Miles and everything great, and it's—I mean, I'm happy. He was so happy with Absurd and Hard School, and they've announced. You know, dates to our friends overseas, you know, who had their dates canceled. So it's not like 
this is ending anytime soon that we we felt perhaps maybe at the beginning of the reunion when we weren't sure so i'm I'm great with all of it it's just maybe you you could tell us uh, your again more of your perspective why the lack of we we get hard school we get absurd but there's really no other information we uh, we're going to get an ep with those two songs and two other live songs and and um, in the spring or even early summer, that's uh, that's I think that's due to like COVID backup and everything with the uh, with producing vinyl and everything. But this really doesn't seem to be a laid out plan. You're somebody who laid out plans, so I mean, do you have a perspective on that? Do they need to do that? Are they above that? They're so big, it really just doesn't even matter. That whenever it drops, however it drops, it's we're gonna pick it up. We're gonna get it. When you have success, your life morphs and your life changes. If this band was broken on the streets and totally disheveled and fucked up on drugs and just like hanging around dirty seedy apartments and nasty dark barroom clubs, they would make a fucking record that would knock everybody's dick in the dirt. You know what I mean? (laughs) They're successful. They're comfortable. They're cushy. You know, what's the inspiration? You know, it's hard to get in there and write a song. When was the last time the Stones wrote a good song? You know, I gave up on them after Exile on Main Street. Hmm. So, you know, it's um, you become something of a I don't know. It's hard to put into words, but I can say this, that I don't think Guns N' Roses is about a money grab. I don't think it is. I think they need to be inspired. I think they need to be kicked in the face and all of a sudden they're going to find a reason to write a song. Okay. Listen to Axel's lyrics. Listen to Appetite for Destruction. That's all based and predicated on experience, how he sees the world. How he sees the world right now is anybody's guess. If he sees it at all, he's so isolated. Hmm. You know, Slash and, you know, outside of COVID, Slash is housebound and Duff has is, is got the wife and the kids and he's doing his thing. But um, it's it's... I am not anticipating or expecting another appetite for destruction. I'm interested of what they're going to launch, what they're going to deliver us, but um, it's certainly not going to be appetite for destruction. Yeah, and I don't don't think we need that, honestly. I agree. I agree. That was the moment in time, and that's great. Well, well, that'll never be taken away. It's it's so funny. You you watch, you know, all day, day yesterday while the NFL games were on, Welcome to the Jungles played in every stadium. I mean, really? it's 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 never going away. You know, the, really? the, the, that that the the song, the album, ever. And use your illusion. Same. I feel the same way. I mean, everything. Right, right. They, it's, use your illusion was a great project. I love that. Yeah, great songs there. I'd like to see the mature Guns and Roses. Put it this way: Slash's playing is so incredible. And I know there might be people that sometimes roll their eyes. Nobody sounds like him. I don't care. You hear Slash's playing, you know it's him. And uh, that's unique. You hear Jimmy Page, you know it's him. You hear Jimi Hendrix, you know it's him. Certain guys have that signature sound, and Slash has a signature sound. So anything that he lays down is going to be just great. Look what he did with Michael Jackson, you know? Look what he did with Silkworms. I mean, I, again, you might might not know, but it's just what I didn't think it was a good song. And, and somehow Slash and, and, and Duff made it a good song to me. So, yeah, what I I have no problem. too. Let me tell you something. Duff is a combination of Bootsy Collins meets, you know, I mean, Duff is, you know, is, is nitroglycerin when it comes to that Fender Precision. He's an amazing bass player. You know, they just, it just fused beautifully together. 
you know i just wish my wish is that izzy would just you know enter into the fray again yeah uh so then right. what do you what do you think maybe put on uh be, be a therapist maybe to axel right now uh they went I have in- <laughs> A million years. I I know. We're just we're 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 role playing here, Peter. I don't mean to get yeah. fresh with you, but we're we're role playing. We're uh, so he. This was on this tour before a uh, going into "Don't Cry." He talked about it being the first Guns N' Roses song, and he told a nice you know nice funny story about throwing rocks at Izzy's window to get him to to write it or you know with, with him and. Izzy was pissed, thought he was wanting to start a fight or whatever. And Axel goes, I miss that guy. Of course he does. Of Man. course he does, you know. Yeah. And if people like to write or, you know, create controversy on talking shit, look, look what those guys did together. You don't lose that. That's like an umbilical cord. They're connected. Um, and not only that, they came up together in Indiana. So this isn't like, you know, they're just... Uh, new friends or new acquaintances these are young kids that came up together and wrote songs together and literally split the atom so that never goes away that never goes away i mean lennon and mccartney there's there's a marriage made in Payne weber with the publishing today and of course jagger richard's compositions i think izzy with with um axel wrote great fucking songs you know chemistry what do you think is because there was another interview that uh, Slash did last year about and, and fans had, had, had fun responding to this one was Slash going I'm not sure how to release new music today and obviously that's only a you know it's a larger conversation where do you do it digitally do you do it one song at a time do you do an EP because of the nature of the business now what's your opinion because obviously it's very different from when you started out. What's what, what do you think is what would you do if you were working at their label right now? And let's just say they had an album to go, you know, they had a bunch of songs. How would you do it? Well, it's all social media platforms. First and foremost, I don't think that Guns N' Roses is the type of band that has to micromanage or put together a demographic. I think their audience goes from young kids today right up into uh, senior adults. You know, they have the full spectrum of fans out there where they certainly could get it. Um, but I would look at everybody to see how records are released. I would follow the roadmap for guys like Drake that just crank out millions and millions and millions and millions of streams and Ed Sheeran and artists like that, core artists of the Internet platform. And, you know, and, and look at look, there's no hidden secret to music distribution. Today it's through streaming and downloads, so that's the the road that's the roadmap. When back in the day when they first came out, it was through stores, having records placed in the stores, pressing and distribution, etc. So it's just a different uh, avenue. It's pretty much the same thing, word of mouth, as much live playing as you can do, and I don't care what people say i think that's the intricate part of it is playing out and playing out live but sadly with covid i mean that throws a wrench into the engine but um there's no there's no uh hidden secret there's no aladdin's lamp you need to launch a record today as a matter of fact it's easier to launch a record because it doesn't cost this much money to launch the record but um if guns N' roses drops a new album People are going to know about it. That thing is going to be on the top of a lot of streaming lists, too. Is that 
bother you at all? With the, uh, yeah, I know streaming is the way to go, but it's it's. I think yeah, that's why two bands have more respect. That that's the way the business is done today. Yeah, that that's just like the way it is, and and then people complain about what artists get from streaming versus you know physical sales, and that's why it's so important to well, buy look, tickets we, and to get merch now more than ever. Let's let's look at this realistically, and let's look at this right in the eye. You know, there's a lot of people that run around, especially artists, and saying, "I got screwed. I got screwed here. I got screwed there." No, you got out maneuvered hmm. you don't get screwed today you didn't have a good lawyer and you had a shitty manager that didn't negotiate a good deal for you and you got what was negotiated and eventually your name went on that signature so stop staying saying you got screwed you got out maneuvered happens all the time in sports and love and ever whatever uh and i that irks me when people say that but um it's it's not that difficult. It really isn't. The hard part is making a good record, hmm. making a record that's worthy, you know, that the people are going to gravitate to. Um, and I'm not talking about the lemmings that just follow each other after one, you know, person does it. Oh, we're going to do the same thing. You know, they get away with that for a year or so, but not long. Uh, but it's just a hard call. I'm just thankful, Brando. I'm thankful that I got to experience the, the days of the music industry when they were the great days of the music industry, the glory days of the music industry, when it was the music business. I wouldn't know what to call it today, but it's not the music business. It's just kind of like music distribution. And I'm not trying to take shots at anybody, but you could walk into any marketing meeting at any major label on any given day and you tell me that the people sitting around that desk making decisions are the type of people that go home at night and turn it up to 10. <laughs> no way. Bottom. I'm sorry. They're not. They're not. And uh, no. you uh, you were. So I. Uh, we are, all were. Are that's you. What, that's why we broke major artists. How many recurrence do you hear from artists of the 90s or, you know, the millennium? Uh, very few. But you hear recurrence all day long from artists from the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s. Why? It was good music back then. It was promoted differently back then. They became icons. Today, they just become rich. But you can't put the word icon next to their name. I'm sorry. Can you talk about, because obviously you've worked with so many and we're focusing on the GNR portion of it, working with icons, but... You are right. And you know what? I'm, I will include the 90s in there. Don't don't shy away on the 90s because you work with some major people in there. So what was your experience with Nirvana? Because that, uh, the, for me, that was my version of Guns N' Roses to say, to see it happen. You know, I was old enough to see that happen. And I've never seen anything like that since. But you were at that level. You know, you were at the, the ground floor. So is there anything that you can tell us about that? That launch they totally changed the face of music, boy, and they just <laughs> they just assassinated a lot of bands. The minute Nirvana came on the scenes, it was over for a lot of people. Format and radio changed. They dubbed it alternative, which you know kind of irks me. It's just great rock, you know what I mean? It's got a new fresh sound, and uh, you want to call it alternative, geek rock, whatever you want to call it, call it. But um, it dominated and it, it, it sold a lot of records. Guns N' Roses uh, was signed to Geffen, 
we started another side label called DGC, standing David Geffen Company, as a small side label to give it like that indie imprint type of vibe and feel. And that's where we put bands like Nirvana and all those so-called alternative bands were all signed through the, G, the DGC side of Geffen. Um, when Nirvana started to really pop and eventually explode, I mean, there was, I don't want to say negativity, but it was a little, you had to be a little political in there because whose camp were you in? Were you in Nirvana's or were you in Guns N' Roses, you know? And I didn't want to get caught in those crosshairs. It was just ridiculous. But that's what happens in the industry sometimes. You have to focus on bullshit rather than the actual music at hand. And that's when I say the politics comes into play. But I didn't have that much dealings with Nirvana. And, you know, I'll say this. I'm not embarrassed to say it. Somebody wants to laugh at me, go ahead. Uh, I wasn't a big fan, <laughs> okay? I wasn't a big fan of Nirvana. Nirvana didn't kill me. I knew what it was. I knew how big it was going to be. But it's not. wasn't something that I would go home and uh, live on and feed on. Yeah, okay. It was good. I, got, I dug it. I got it. But I wasn't like, wow, you know, don't. I don't, I don't think you're depressed enough, uh, Peter. Well, I was in Guns N' Roses world full tilt boogie back then. I sure. Mean, I was cranking on it. You know, I was backstage at that MTV Awards when Axel and, uh, and uh, Cobain crossed paths, and there was almost a, a, a little bit of a fight backstage before Guns eventually came out. Did you tell us, uh, and, and forgive me, because it was uh, you know over a year ago, and also I guess have no brain cells left. Do you, can you, did you tell us your perspective of, of, of witnessing that? Well, I didn't witness it firsthand. I had heard. I was oh, in a trailer down the um, aisle, and I heard, and boom, I came running out. And, you know, what I had heard was that, you know, Courtney got in the middle of it, and she started running her mouth, and Axel got pissed. And Axel's a wildcat, man. He will jump. I don't care who you are, how big you are, how strong you are. Axel Rose has no fear. And, uh, you know, I've seen that movie before. And uh, I saw the tail end of it then, and then everybody made nice and went about their way. But... Yeah, got some headlines the next day, people talking about it. So it served its purpose, and our publicity department went full tilt on that to make sure that story got out there. <laughs> uh, and Doug uh, will certainly give his perspective on that story in his book. But I, I want to get your – I want to make give you some headlines because you told me some things, some stories off the air that were fun. And if you would feel comfortable sharing them here, you know, please, yeah, sure. please do so, uh, that you are kind of responsible for Bon Jovi. Well, yeah, it's, it was – here's how it went. Um, and again, this is nothing that I ever tried to put out there because I, I, I'm just not cut out of that cloth. I never, ever try to take credit for anybody's success. Never. Uh, but I remember that there was a radio station that signed on in New York City, and it was called WAPP, the Apple and they had a programmer that came in from the Midwest, I think. His name was Chip Hobart, and he was going to be the program director there. And they're signing on in New York as a rock station where you already have WPLJ, which at the time was a powerhouse rock station with a big signal, all the key jocks there, programmed by a guy named Larry Berger with all the ratings in the world. Big. Okay, then you had WNEW where Scott Muni lived and the NEW Legacy and great album rock station, cool, hip people, really nice people. And the Apple, APP signs on and 
nobody's going to give this radio station any love because you'll alienate the two stations that you've been dealing with. I had nothing to lose. I had no axe to grind. I'm a newbie. I'm on the streets. I'm promoting records. I go down there and I take a meeting with Chip Hobart. And I said, man, how you doing? He shows me the studios. And I said, so what's the plan for the summer? He goes, well, we want to launch and get the name out there. And what I decided we we're going to do, we we're going to do a homegrown album for WAPP, hand it out free to the listeners. And um, we're going to have homegrown artists from New York, New Jersey, metropolitan area. So he says, you want to hear it? I said, sure. So we go in his office and he plays me this track. He goes, this is track by this guy named Bon Jovi. And I said, Tony Bon Jovi? And he was the, 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 um, uh, the recording studio. He goes, no, it's his cousin, John. And he made this record. He was like working in there as an apprentice. And on the downtime, he cut this record. And I played it for me called Runaway. I'm listening to the record. I'm saying, oh, this is fucking great. This is automatic at radio and he starts to show me some pictures of it and i said this guy's gonna win what's the deal so i brought that record back to my office and i was with an associated label that was part of cbs records at the time on the epic Records side and they had brought the record. i said try to push this thing through we should sign this guy this guy's fucking great let's sign this let's sign this and i pushed and i pushed and i pushed to no avail everybody said yeah okay I had gone over to see a guy that I knew named Derek Shulman, who was the head of A&R over at Mercury. And Derek was a great guy. And he used to be in the group called Gentle Giant. And I brought it to Derek and I drove him crazy. I was like a little nebbish biting at his shoelaces, just saying, you got to sign this. You got to sign this. And I really, 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 really pushed and pushed and pushed. And he actually called our office three or four different times. You really think I should sign this? Make a long story short. He signed it up signing Bon Jovi, and Bon Jovi becomes a monster, 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 monster band. And you know what? They deserve it. Because Johnny's great, and he's a good guy, too. I've met him a couple of times. I don't know him personally. Uh, but that's nothing that I ever wanted to put out there, because it looks like you're trying to take a bow for somebody's career. You know what I mean? But uh, that's a true story. And one guy who's no longer with us, he passed away about a year ago, a good buddy of mine, knew because he was the one who actually spoke to Hobart and Hobart said, this fucking guy, Napoleon, is going crazy trying to get this Bon Jovi thing signed. I hope he doesn't do it before we get this thing out because then they'll put a cease and desist on it and we won't be able to get the record out, you know, the APP <laughs> record. So it was uh, an interesting time, but that's 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 a true story. I, I got a kick out of it when you told me that, but now it is on record. But yeah, you're not the, that kind of guy. To, but no. it, 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 it happened, and that, that's what this podcast is. A lot of it it's about. It's about how major truths. things, yeah, true stories for one, and how major things happened, but how did it happen, really? You know, there are just people you just don't know about and stories you don't know about, and until you, you talk to that person, get that story, look under that, you know, metaphorical rock, whatever, you're not going to get it. So, I mean, yeah, we've had... The question really is, if they didn't get signed to Mercury, they would have ended up getting signed, but who knows where. Right. And Mercury, at the time, had great staff. They had a guy named David Leach doing promotion, and he just went out there and he busted that record wide open. So, you know, it depends, too, where they landed and if they would have ended up being a priority at certain labels. So I just think it was good timing for everybody. And uh, Mazel Tov to Johnny, because Johnny uh, did quite well in his career. <laughs> yes, he did. And he is, a, like, like you, has a great head of hair that I'm eternally jealous of. Uh, but you also... To me, you know, about Bon Jovi, he's out there doing some good work for people. He's doing those food kitchens. Yeah. And 
God bless them. You know, a lot of guys sit on their ass after they get rich. Johnny's out there making a difference in the world, and I respect that. You see stories like that all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And and to bring things full circle, you mentioned something at the beginning about how you, you know, when you got away from the music industry and you're writing screenplays and wondering about your life, is there a story you can tell about that screenplay about your life? Yeah, as a matter of fact, (laughs) this one's a a killer. This one almost put me in my grave. So this screenplay is called Pay for Play. And when I wrote it, it it just flowed. It came out so naturally from the dialogue and everything else. But I had never written a script before. So I had finished it and I had done it professionally where it was on Final Draft, which is the format of professional scripts. And it had all the – it was set up perfectly. So I'm at a convention in New York City somewhere, and it's an IT convention. And there's a lot of hedge fund people there, and there's a lot of guys from Silicon Valley there. And there's a panel discussion, and there's this interesting guy who's got an Australian accent who's got this website called uh, heavy.com, and his name is Simon. And I start talking to him, and he says to me, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and I mentioned that I have a script. And he says, would you mind if I read the script? Now, how many times have you been seeing people with a little demo tape? Oh, would you listen to my demo tape? Oh, yeah, sure. Right. You know, most people are like, yeah, okay, whatever. But within two days, I got a phone call from Simon. I love this script. This is amazing. And I'm like saying, really? And he goes, would you mind if I gave it to my friend? His name is Ed Pressman. And I said, you mean... Edward R. Pressman, the guy that did Conan the Barbarian, The Crow, Wall Street with Michael Douglas and Oliver Stone, plus about 60 to 70 other amazing movies that I'm a giant fan over. He goes, yeah, he's a friend of mine. I said, funny you should say that, because when I wrote this screenplay, I wrote it in the vein of the way Oliver Stone had written Wall Street, where it's an expose on the stock market. You know, it's it's a tell-all, and it's like taking the sheets off to somebody when they're laying naked in bed. You're exposing them. And that's the vein that I wrote this in. So it's ironic that you want to give it to Pressman. Sure, go ahead and do it. He did it. I get a phone call from Pressman's office within three weeks. And I'm saying, whoa. And they want to have a meeting with me. Make a long story short, we sit down. They optioned it. And they start shopping this script. And they're very excited about it. And they put it out to a couple of directors, including Oliver Stone, who loved it, but at the time was doing cinematography for Alexander the Great in Morocco. And he says, I'm tied up for two years. Can't do it. We met with Brett Ratner, and Brett Ratner, you know, from the Jackie Chan movies and stuff, went crazy over it. But he wanted to make it more into a hip hop movie. And my art, my um, cast, and my uh, characters were based around rockers. So we went on and on and on. We met with a guy named Doug Lyman, who was a brilliant guy and a very smart guy and a great director who did Born Supremacy with Matt Damon. And he said, "I love it, but." I've got this other movie to make first called Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. So we're sitting on this thing and we're kind of like what I said earlier in development hell. And we came to the conclusion that it needed a rewrite. We needed to freshen it up a little bit. It needed to be worded properly, more on a professional level when it comes to writers. So I said, absolutely, I agree. And we hired this guy and he was a nice guy. I took a couple of meetings with him. And I'm not going to mention his name because uh, I don't think it's fair. Okay. Uh, it is. An, I'd like to, but 
karmically, I'm not going to. But make a long story short, he did his rewrite, and it was okay, but the powers that be didn't like it, and they kind of turned him down, and nothing ever materialized. But before he had finished, he had said to me, he goes, Pete, he goes, this is a really interesting project. He goes, at the moment, I'm working on a blues project documentary with Martin Scorsese and Mick Jagger. Would you mind terribly if I gave this to them? Would I mind? I said, well, well, look, I said, come on, I mean, you could do whatever you want if you mention any names like that, but you got to get permission from Pressman's office because, um, you know, they've optioned it and it has to be their call at this point. But I endorse it. I'll say absolutely yes on my end. So nothing ever materializes. This guy disappears into the woodwork. And uh, when was it? Maybe 2015. I'm reading the trades. And I'm reading that HBO just signed a big production deal with Martin Scorsese, Mick Jagger, and this person who was the guy that did the rewrite. And they had a small treatment of what this new project was about called Vinyl. Hmm. And I said, that's my fucking story. Now, we've all heard this story before about people getting ripped off and this, that, and the other thing. But I, I couldn't believe it. I was like shell-shocked. I said, oh, please, let this not be happening to me. This is like, you know, taking your child and just kidnapping it. It's, it's a nightmare, it's, really. Yeah. Probably, yeah. So I called Pressman's office and I spoke to one of the producers and, you know, she told me, she goes, this is nasty. She goes, that is, fuck, you got a lawsuit. So I was in Europe at the time, living in Europe. And on my soon next trip to L.A., I got on the phone and I called some of the biggest litigators in the business. And I know them. And the first thing they said to me, they said, well, who are you suing, Peter? And I said, Martin Scorsese. And they go, stop right there. <laughs> they go, we can't take you as a client. I go, why not? They said, because we're on retainer with Martin. And as a matter of fact, you'll find that every lawyer in town for what you need is on, law, is on retainer with Scorsese. So you'll go nowhere. So I have a couple of other friends that are high-powered attorneys, and they basically told me, forget it, Pete. You know, HBO will bleed you on this. They'll hang you up in court. You'll spend all your money. You'll get nowhere with this. And I said, yeah, okay. So I kind of walked away with my tail between my legs, and I came back to Europe. And I got to tell you, Brando, it's a horrible feeling. And I just said to myself, I said, this isn't fair. So finally, the pilot came. Okay, and they've aired the pilot and it got good reviews, but it got really bad reviews, too. And in the final analysis, it really was a black eye to HBO because they spent a fortune on it and it was a total bomb. The critics killed it. Um, it was a death blow, sadly, to Jagger's kid because he had a starring role in it. And hopefully this thing was going to make his career. Uh, Mick Jagger's wanted to get a great movie out for a long time with his company called Jagged Films. He's had some interesting projects, but this could have been the one that boom, puts him on the map in that world. Uh, and the showrunner who was involved with this, who was an HBO darling, who was the showrunner for The Sopranos and, and uh, Boardwalk Empire, he was a god, this guy, got the axe. And I just sat back and I said, you know what? The universe took care of me. I couldn't beat him with lawyers, but it didn't take long for karma to rear its head and take this ship down. And it went down, and it went down hard. But that opening, tra uh, not the trailer, the, um, the uh, pilot that they aired first, it was so close to mine. They just changed enough 
to protect their ass. Mm-hmm. I could see it. But the whole premise, and of course, Scorsese put his gangster bullshit in there, which I didn't have in mind, and that kind of cheeseballed it out a little bit. But that's what they wanted, the gritty end of it. And I think that's re- one of the reasons why it tanked. Uh, that's my personal opinion. Uh, I don't want to sound like I have an axe to grind. I don't. But that's a really interesting story because yes, it the, is. Stones, the Stones was the band that I was weaned on. That band shaped my childhood. That band made me what I am throughout the music business. That band made me want to get into the music business. And here, one of your icon idols, Mick Jagger, is the one that's fucking you. you know? <laughs> well, I, honestly, in, in the final analysis at the end of the day, I'm sure that Jagger and Martin had no clue. They just thought this clown mm. that calls himself a writer, I call him a con artist, ripoff artist, and I really would love to mention his name, but I'm not going to. Uh, this creep went out and, and did something really dirty, you know, and... Um, it goes to show, you know, as people are listening to this podcast, you, you can't make this up, and there is no, no recreating your life. Your life is your life, and I appreciate you sharing it with I know. I never told us. that story to very few people. You know who knows the story? People who know me personally know this, and they feel bad, you know, but there's nothing you can do. But I never went on record telling this story, but I'll tell it because I got nothing to lose. No. What are you going to do? Cancel me? <laughs> no, no, I guess not. You know what it is? It's terrible. It, you know, and that's why it happened the way it did, because karma you don't do things like that in this world you don't steal you don't lie you don't cheat you just don't at least i don't wise words wise words from uh from peter napoliello <laughs> you are awesome what you do, man you, what you do comes back threefold that's how I try to live my life, you know? Uh, so you're an inspiration, inspirational words. I mean, the stories are... Well, can I tell you something? I've given the script to people that were interested, and everybody that read it all said the same thing. Oh, my God. You should re-solicit this and re- rework this. Bring it to Netflix. It would be monster. It would be madmen for, uh, for uh, uh, Netflix. I said, I got no interest in doing that. I'm living my life. I'm having a good time. If somebody wants to do it, great. Contact me. I'll get you the script. But I got four other ones that are fucking killer, too. And everybody likes to say their stuff is killer. You know me, Brando. I don't brag. I don't brag. I call it what it is. I got winners. Winners. And ones that I'm very, very proud of. But if not this life, man, the next life, that's for sure. So uh, that will do it. Uh, Peter, I mean, thank you so much. Uh, we can do, a, a God, a whole miniseries with you. Uh, Always good to talk to you, though, Brando. It is. And I'm glad you're doing good, and I'm glad you're healthy. And wait a minute. You mentioned to me that you're going to get married because you got engaged. Yes. Yeah, so uh, if, if engaged, as I mentioned, to a Dave Matthews fan, which is fine. We bond on the Beatles. And uh, we picked a, pa- a place in Brooklyn called the uh, the Velvet lounge so which of course the gnr and me thinks like oh we got to get a velvet revolver cover band there you go probably not but uh, seriously though if you know anybody we want to find a band that plays both dave matthews and guns N' roses (laughs) if that such a one exists we will hire you (laughs) if you're in like the new york area uh but yeah so thank you things are good and and honestly talk talking to people like you Doing this podcast, uh, talking to the listeners on social media and having them come on to be a part of episodes, 
that's what's gotten me through. It really has through some uh, some some tough times, especially when you know during COVID. I'm yeah, I'm able to work from home, thankfully. But this it's got everybody bugged out. Everybody's really it does. But I'm I've become lucky because I've been able to expand my world, and you're a part of that expansion. If I can, you know, continue with that uh, awkward phrase, I guess. But uh, it's it's been great. So thank you. And just keep doing what you're doing, bro, and win because you're doing great, and I'm happy, and I'm proud of you too. And uh, more importantly, I'm there if you need anything. Live to win. It was either that singing or I'll be there for you. See, this is why I'm in radio. I can't sing. <laughs> I'll be there for No, I, I can't. I can't do it. Uh, Peter, you were great. So, oh, wh- where's – I know you have a Facebook, but, again, if people are interested in hearing more of your stories, and, again – Radio can, 2, Radio Cox, Radio 2 in Estonia, and go to Mindbender, which is my radio show, and listen – and hit me up and contact me through there or you can find me anywhere i don't have a twitter account and i don't do instagram (laughs) so i'm doing uh i have a facebook account by default you're more than welcome to find me there if you're interested and um that's about it email you know google cool however people find each other these days but what do i have to offer nothing (laughs) but the bottom line is uh i care you know, um, don't take life too serious. Live your life, enjoy it while you can, and uh, just be nice. Yeah, look at this. That's. I feel like the, my listeners know. Isn't that kind of my 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 credo? And you wonder why Peter and I kind of talk like we've known each other for years because we're kind of I don't know. Is it the New Yorker? Well, not, there are a lot of asshole it's New Yorkers. Egg, my friend, I got a good nose. I always had a good talent for hiring people. I always picked good records and good songs, and I know people, and I sensed right away from our conversations that you're a good egg man, and. Uh, you know, here comes the Eggman. Sorry, see, I need to deflect because I'm uncomfortable when I get praise. It's, it's not praising you though. It's just telling you something that you probably need to hear, or that, or yeah. that. Yeah, it's I'm so it's negative on myself. It's important that people get feedback. You know, I always said, and a lot of people talk shit about me. Believe me, I've had my character assassinated millions of times, and half of this stuff was really over nothing. And lies like you wouldn't believe. But the point I'm trying to make is no good deed goes unpunished sometimes, my friends. Just be who you are. Be proud. Keep your chin up. Do hard work. And I think you'll win every time. But I'm happy. And it's always good to talk to you too, Brando. And I'm here if you need anything. And maybe you can come on my show and be my guest one day. Oh, I can do that since I figured out the good time where I don't have to wake up too early with the time difference. We're, we're good. We're good. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, well, you stay well, man, and good luck. And again, I'm around if you want to just give me a holler. And I want to thank your audience for sticking it out with us today. And uh, yes, and also again, if you are the typical podcast uh, listener, whether it's iHeart, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, uh, feel free subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm going to put up the audio with a bunch of Peter's, you know, pictures with uh, young Axel, young Cher, young uh, David Coverdale, and. Obviously, this dude has so many more stories and insight to give. So, uh, we'll we'll make it a trilogy at some point. But we got to leave people you wanting can do more. Weekly, I don't care. Call <laughs> me up. <laughs> uh, 
thank you so much and again to all the uh, the bad apples that are out there um, yeah however you listen please follow subscribe uh, tell a friend the conversation continues in between the broadcast so we do have a new Twitter at the AFD podcast uh, Instagram Facebook and that's how you see guest announcements like I just announced uh, Phil Lewis of LA Guns is coming on this is how you can get questions submitted if you submit a guest to me you could potentially co-host uh, Rick Richards, who used to work with Izzy, should be coming on. And I'm getting a ton of your questions there. And I'm going to bring on a guest co-host for that one. So don't miss out. Follow on social media in between the broadcast. So that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. When will you see the next one? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it, I don't know, as soon as the word. security, I'm going home.